Hi guys, it's Ewan. Thanks for stopping by to listen to Red Voices this week and every other week. Rich and I recorded a Europa League final review, which you're about to hear, but given that this is a podcast about a football club from Manchester, it would have felt completely inappropriate not to address last Monday's attack at the Arena first. Manchester and its people are very, very dear to all of us, and it's played a big part in our lives. From all five of us, our thoughts go out to everyone affected by this tragedy. Rich, it's kind of difficult to know how to start this week's episode, primarily because there's a mix of things, isn't there? There's the, the joint euphoria of uh, Wednesday night, coupled with uh, the sharpness of what happened in Manchester Arena on Monday evening. So it's kind of a, a mixed bag, so to speak, isn't it? I think it's fair to say that football, a lot of things really got put into context by what happened in Manchester last week, didn't it? Yeah, I think that the run-up to the game on Wednesday was very different in that it did feel significantly less important than it had done before before that obviously and I don't really think it was it was until the game kicked off that certainly I really managed to sort of immerse myself in the in the game in isolation it's difficult to know what to what to say really it was it was a very difficult game I think it probably made the game more difficult in a way for for United because of what happened and I'm sure sure members of the team felt as slightly hollow as as, as a lot of the fans did so it took a lot to motivate themselves but, but then I suppose we can say that it was just one of those things that sort of scheduling worked out that, that there could be some, some good news for the city after some terrible news. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think I, I completely agree. You know, in the hours sort of leading up to the game on Wednesday, you know, I, I can't remember the, let's see, the anxiety that led up to the FA Cup final last year, just thinking about, all right, we, we hadn't gotten top four. No Champions League football, but it was a trophy. This was a final that United were in. Obviously, we wanted to go in and win it. This was uh, this is arguably had a lot more riding on it. You know, we spoke about it uh, in the in the preview leading up to it. It was arguably one of the most important finals and single games that United have had in years. But as you said, just felt completely hollow. And it wasn't until after that minute silence when you kind of felt like, all right, there's a football match on. Just not necessarily switch off from what had happened, but kind of let football take precedent in your mind for a couple of hours you know and I think that's not necessarily trying to do disservice to what happened at all but I think at that point the football kind of felt like a bit of a welcome relief in the end what an emotional game as well you know it was a very very special evening from front to back in the end and you know we spoke about it a little bit before uh, you and I started recording this evening the man for the moment for the most part wasn't it Mourinho in that one-off game that he knew he needed to win and it certainly wasn't agreed upon by uh, Ajax's manager, but yep, he uh, he found his strategy and he stuck to it. And we basically kept Ajax out for the entirety of that game, didn't we? Yeah, I mean, you know, he clearly picked a very physically imposing team, and it obviously had a lot of ex- lot more experience than than the Ajax team did. I think said you, we said before that you know if you if you want to pick a manager to win you a final, um, even if he doesn't necessarily have to be pretty, it would be Mourinho. Obviously, Mourinho's problem this season has has been not being able to replicate 
you know, some high class performances in the majority of games in the league. But in a one off occasion, you you would certainly back him. And I think it's hard to say that he put a foot wrong as as manager. And I think it was noticeable that when we spoke we spoke last in the last pod about how he'd taken an absolutely monumental risk by throwing all of his eggs into the Europa League basket into a into a cup competition, which is you know anything can go wrong. And he's been particularly morose in the last few weeks. You know, you've not got a smile out of him. He's been short-tempered. He wasn't really giving any interviews after the after the Palace game. And and then the final whistle, you could see that all of that lifted, and he was absolutely joyous. But you could see the pressure in that. And he, we spoke about the importance of the game in terms of United's short and medium-term future. And I think it was actually really that big. Um, and I think for him, it was an enormous. There was enormous release afterwards because he, whatever else we did, he knew he had to get Champions League football to achieve what he wanted to do next season, and he did it. And you know, you could see you could see from his demeanour afterwards that that it, it really was a, an elephant lifted off his back. Gosh, it was, wasn't it? I mean, you know, we're doing things a little backward this week, but fair enough. I mean, the, the full time reactions were amazing, weren't they? Mourinho just. Jumping up for joy. Did I see tears of joy at one point as well? That that that's a rare sight indeed. I reckon there were tears when his son took him out. <laughs> yeah, that was quite sweet <laughs> to be fair. Him, yeah. That was a lovely moment. Wonderful. <laughs> it sounds so trite, but really, just wonderful scenes. You know, it, it, you mentioned you know Mourinho and just sort of the felt like a balloon of tension had been popped. That was the same for the whole team. You know, everyone. Yeah responded in such a way it was such a release of tension for the entire squad it was so great to see because you could see that in the weeks leading up to the final and getting to the final as well you know united had just been playing with so much tension we had been really pushing our way through games and didn't necessarily look like for the most part we were really enjoying our football and from the first minute basically from after the minute silence slash applause which was you know so well observed by everyone in the stadium over in Stockholm on last Wednesday night it just felt like United were on it and I think that was one of the things that made me most proud about watching the game last week you know in in spite of what happened on Monday the team came out knowing that this was a massive game, knowing the added pressure, essentially just trying to put what happened out of their minds at the arena. But they were able to do that so well and put in such a strong performance, weren't they? You know, from front to back, I don't think anyone in a blue shirt let United down on Wednesday. I thought everyone did their job well. I thought everyone was on the same page. They stuck to Mourinho's game plan. little bit of luck in a couple of circumstances, but I don't necessarily think you can say that that was a lucky victory, if that makes sense. Yeah, and I thought I think you saw the difference between inexperience and, and experience. There were, you know, we had a lot of players on the pitch who had quite extensive experience in both European football and international football. I think they really showed where, uh, the first ten or fifteen minutes. I thought Ajax looked incredibly not shaken, not shaken, but they did they didn't they weren't composed at all. You could see that it was a young team and they hadn't played in this under this sort of pressure before, and they just struggled with it a bit. And while they came into the game a bit. Later on, they really just played into United's hands, and one of the one of the criticisms of Ajax before before the game was was, was they only have one way of playing in the Eredivisie. You know that works. They're playing against pub teams every week or a lot of the time, <clears throat> but against against United, you know, the manager with the wily experience and ability to to nullify other teams that Mourinho has, it was they were just like it was really asking for trouble, and they just didn't have an alternative. They didn't have a Fellaini. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, they, they didn't, didn't have a Fellaini. 
<clears throat> they didn't have a Fellaini in it. I think you could tell from from um, was it was it Peter Bosch? I think his name. Yes, the manager indeed, afterwards yeah. was whining about United not not playing football. I, I have the quotes sort of, right here for you, Rich. It was a boring game. There were no chances from both sides. I'm disappointed because you play finals to win them. We didn't. Well, yeah. fair play. I mean, I mean <laughs> it's difficult, really. I mean, I get it, but it's the same whinging when Barcelona come up against the team that just defends, isn't it? You know, they're not allowed to play their brand of football, and when they're not allowed to play that, if they can't adapt to another way of playing another style, if they come up against the team that's particularly difficult to break down, then they start whinging. Yeah. And in this instance, I know there's definitely something to be said for a team with United's experience and obvious quality and attacking talent, perhaps not taking the game to them a little bit more and perhaps making these a little bit more stretched. But at the same time, I thought United really dealt with the whole situation very well. You know, obviously you know that Ajax have got a lot of exuberance, a lot of pace, a lot of attacking talent. You know, this was such a huge moment for them. And for them, I don't think they necessarily really played a bad game. It's not like it didn't show up. I just think they didn't really have an answer to United and their pressing. I thought we actually closed the game down incredibly well. You know, everyone played their part well. You know, Darmian was great. Herrera and Fellaini were superb. Rashford ran the challenge as good as as well as he possibly could. You know, he was essentially feeding on scraps all night. But everyone did their job well, didn't they? I, you know, repeating myself, but it really is true. You know, Mourinho got one of the most together performances, I guess you could say, that I think he's managed his entire first season, and one of the best team performances that I think I've seen from United since Ferguson retired. Yeah, I think you know, there's been there's been some criticism afterwards. People kind of saying, well. You know, this is United. The, the resources they had to have played in in a reactive way was, to a degree, a sort of betrayal of their principle. And I mean, to a point, I, to a point this season, I agree with that. I mean, I think think the way that we we faced up in games like the the Celta home leg and at City and to a degree at Arsenal and Spurs as well. So the, the more diff, more difficult games at the end of the season really went out with very little ambition. And I think if, in general, that's been a, an issue for the last few months, which it's right to highlight, but in the context of a single game, which has to be won, and that an absolutely monumental amount of pressure is, is on United to win it. I think in that circumstance, you know, you do whatever you need to do to win the game. I agree. And that's more, what, I mean, it's, you know, people have said that essentially and that, that, that's, that's how we had to win the Europa League and we did what we needed to do. If we if we're playing like that next season, you know, every week in the league, then I think people will have a good reason to gripe. But in the context of that single game, it didn't matter a jot. We just did what we had to do to beat Ajax, and I thought Ajax were very naive and United were very clever. No, I agree with that. I mean, going back to what we were speaking about earlier in terms of how the game turned, I do think we <laughs> we do really have to look at that first goal as a massive slice of luck. You know, it's not like we hadn't necessarily started badly. I thought it was interesting to see us really on the front foot, pressing hard. But at that point, when Pogba actually scored, it did feel to a certain extent like Ajax was starting to creep back into the game. And that first goal really sort of put the pressure on their shoulders, didn't it? Yeah, it did. I read a really interesting interview with Frank Lampard in the it was in the Times yesterday. He, in Sunday Times, and he, he was essentially talking about how he used to score so many goals. And he said well, that, that sounds like a really fun interview. Well, oh yeah, but he, but he, he admitted, you know, it used to be the thing that that Lampard scored tons of deflections, and everyone used to say how spawny it was. But he said, you know, I was coached that if you if you shoot from those areas, then 
there's a very you know, there's a really decent chance that they'll the ball will hit somebody else and it'll deflect away in a different direction. And I think that's really you know, Pogba was kind of shooting from the position of maximum opportunity, wasn't he? Really, at sort of the edge of the area, dead center. And it wasn't a good shot, but if you're shooting through defenders, then there's always a chance it's going to come off someone's leg. And you know, Sanchez was unfortunately it was him. But you, if you say if you shoot from those areas, you've always got a chance that it'll they'll loop in. It was a bit fortunate, but you know, if you don't you don't shoot, you don't score. And I think I think as well, United deserved that lead for their first 15, 20 minutes. Even though Ajax started a composure, I think it, we were worth that that one goal lead at that point. For sure. I mean, I think. <laughs> it's a difficult game to analyse because we did a really, really good job of just shutting Ajax down for like pretty much the entirety. You know, I think there was only one moment in the game where I genuinely felt worried that Ajax were going to score, and I think that was the free kick on the outside of the area. I think Damian got yeah. penalised for a semi-accidental handball just on the edge of the D or in the D, just ahead of the penalty area. I just thought, for all intents and purposes, this is this is just going in. There's just no way around this. This is going to go in top corner. And then game's going to be on, and suddenly it's going to be a very, very tense finish. And I guess it kind of summed up Ajax's night that it just went straight into the wall. I mean, admittedly, every single player that could possibly be in the wall was in the wall. So that definitely was some assistance. But as I said, I just think we did such a good job of just shutting them down. You know, and it, when the second goal went in, it was really interesting watching some of the uh, the analysis of that goal. In particular, it was Lee Dixon who pointed this out on uh, on the ITV coverage. And it was noting that Mkhitaryan had left the penalty area initially, and then Herrera told him, no, get back in the box and make a nuisance of yourself. And there he was on hand to touch in Smalling's header. You know, really nice improvised finish. 2-0, and, you know, it was one of those situations, going back to talking about that free kick, because it is United, there was always that sort of worry with a slim lead. What would we do with this? Would we just try and close the game out? Would we try and kill it off? And it kind of sat somewhere in the middle, didn't it? You know, Jesse had that chance yeah. late on to put a lovely bit of gloss on the on the tie and couldn't quite manage it. And we had a couple of the bits and bobs. I thought Martial looked a danger when he came on too. But at, by that same credit, I don't necessarily think we allowed Ayers to make much out of that game whatsoever. And that was quite comforting to see. Whilst we did sit back, we closed them down so well and we didn't retreat to the point that we did against Celta Vigo, right? In the sense that we sat back so deep that we were just inviting the pressure. I think we do have an issue, and again, it wasn't it was an issue in the final in the final that our counter attacking, considering we're relying on it, isn't particularly good. It's not great. That's fair enough. <clears throat> you know, essentially, we struggled to keep the ball. We 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 hit it forward too early. You know, Rashford basically spent most of the game just chasing hopeless hopeless causes. Really, to a degree, I think we could have won even more comfortably if we'd been more effective at. At the, at the counter-attack. Now, if we're going to play that way next season, I presume Mourinho's plan is that we just have better players doing it. You know, that would be more effective. But that, if there's one one criticism I have, we, we, we've not been good at keeping the ball. We've perhaps tried to get forward, get it forward too early and it's been pretty inaccurate. We gave up possession, you know, more often than we needed to and more regularly than we, need, we, we needed to. But fortunately, we were so, so compact defensively that it didn't really matter in the end. I mean, the big worry going in after seeing that team sheet was uh, Chris Smalling, wasn't it? And he, yeah. along with Darmy and two players who have had their fair share of criticism, I mean, Smalling on a much higher level for sure, I thought Smalling actually did very well. You know, almost every single time he got his head or his boot to the ball and cleared it. You know, obviously we were playing long balls to a certain extent, trying to clear pressure anytime we received deliveries into the box. But I thought for the amount of stress people had when they saw Smalling's name on the team sheet 
And to be fair, because Jones had played the 90 minutes against Palace, it, it seemed nailed on that Smalling was going to start alongside Blind. Mm. I thought he actually dealt with that game particularly well. I thought... I don't think he's answered critics to a certain extent because we know he's got those performances in his locker and it's all a case of just being able to do that more frequently. And that's been the running theme of his time at United. That has not happened on a frequent basis. But I thought in particular last Wednesday he did a really good job of showing that there is potentially enough of a reason to stick with him. I don't know whether or not you can say the same for both him and Phil Jones and I wouldn't be surprised if one of them gets sold. But I think I don't think Small has done himself any sort of disservice for that sort of performance in such a big, big game. No, I, I suspect that his future has already been decided by Mourinho. It seems to be perceived wisdom that, that if, if uh, Michael Keane comes in, then Smalling will be the one who departs. And I don't think he could have too many complaints about that. But he did. You know, I think everybody played really well. In the, I, don't, I don't think you could look at a single person. I guess the two people who are most, um, most criticised in Smalling and... Fellaini were amongst the best performers in the game. So, I mean, you mentioned Darmian. I think Mourinho really likes Darmian. He's been incredibly versatile. You know, he's played him at left back. He didn't play a lot of left back before he came to United. You know, he put her in, in a really, really strong performance in the final. And he's generally played pretty well in the last couple of months. And I, and I think for that reason, you know, Mourinho really values his presence. I think he he he, he kind of sees a bit of Azpilicueta in him. So, I, I think I think the one. The one defender who's in a, not in a position of strength, though, is Smalling, despite his final performance. As you say, he has a performance in him like that, but unfortunately he has five or six in between where he just switches off and doesn't concentrate for the whole game. And it, Again, you saw to a degree in the final, and as you say, it didn't really matter because we were trying to get the ball forward quickly, but his distribution and his, his work on the ball is is pretty rubbish for for the level we need to be playing at. So, but I, I feel like I've turned a positive into a negative there, but he had a really good game. He had a really good game and, you know, he, he deserved praise for that game. I just don't think that it will be enough to save him from bringing another centre-back this summer. No, that's fair enough. I mean, talk about other performances. Captain for the evening, Antonio Valencia, who's just this week signed a contract extension, taken through to 2019. Had a pretty big game himself. You know, he's... I don't think he played a minute of football, I think it was noted, after the uh, the second leg against Vigo. So important was he to Mourinho's plans. Just fair enough, you know, it's been noted elsewhere that I think it was particularly on the Ratcast they mentioned this in terms of how it works with the fullbacks. So essentially, Mourinho only wants one of his fullbacks to go forward. And yeah. if that's a battle between Darmian and Valencia, it's pretty much going to be Valencia every damn time. So yeah, he yeah. is integral to what Mourinho wants in terms of supporting the attack from defence. So it's no surprise that he's been given extra contract. And considering how good he's been this season, fair play to him. He's been great. He's a cyborg, isn't he? He's just he's basically ridiculous. a human cyborg. Yeah. Considering he's in his early 30s, he's in absolutely incredible physical shape. And he's just got the stamina to just, just keep running up and down that line. And as you say, Mourinho seems to like that balance with one attacking fullback and one, one defensive fullback. And you can see that that there's probably the intention to continue that next season. I mean, we've had links with Perisic this week, and he's very much a proper sort of old school winger. Quite quite often on the left, but he, he's versatile. You know, if you're gonna if you're gonna have a proper old school winger, then you don't have you don't need an, old, an overlapping fullback. So I can see that he's probably looking for that balance again of of the winger doing the work on one side and Valencia doing the work on the other, and perhaps having a more dynamic player on the right hand side. You know, our options are at the moment, probably Matter or Mikitarin or 
or Lingard and, and none of traditional wingers. None are going to sprint past people and whipping crosses. That the whole structure of the team is to Valencia is perhaps one of the most integral players to how Mourinho wants to play, and I think he's been, as you say, I think of the the players that Mourinho's really rehabilitated this season. I'd say him, Herrera, and Rojo particularly are the three that have improved immeasurably and become absolutely essential to the team. Hmm. And we'll talk a little bit about Herrera and all of his other teammates in the uh, the player season review pod that we'll be doing later on uh, in the week. Um, but Herrera in particular, you know, there was reports about uh, it's Valvade, the new Barcelona coach, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So Valvade was uh, there's been reports of Valvade, uh, Barcelona's new coach, wanting Herrera. And apparently Herrera doesn't want any of it, which is wonderful. He sees his long-term future at the club, which is great because on the basis of what we've seen this season, I think he should be getting the armband if and when Rooney eventually yeah. goes. And on the basis of the last week, it looks like that's going to be this summer. You know, he was talking at full time about it, essentially saying he's going to chat with his family and figure out what the best decision to do is. Let's talk about him actually having an offer from Everton, which is pretty interesting, or where we could potentially go from there. Moving on to uh, full-time then, Rich. Wonderful reactions. Several, several beautiful moments. Zlatan walking up to a banner that's talking about someone shagging his wife. All sorts of wonderful little moments there in the, in the aftermath of the game. It was, uh, it was a really lovely occasion when United lifted that trophy. You know, I know we've been down on the Europa League pretty much all season long in some ways. And it, it was... It, well, let's put that around. It was really, really great to win it in the end, wasn't it? Yeah, it was really strange. I've I've never really taken to the Europa League, not because not not because it's a sort of second rate competition, but I, I grew up on the the Cup Winners Cup and the UEFA Cup and the European Cup, and, and and all three competitions were incredibly important. When you know when when United won the Cup Winners Cup in '91, you know I had very little memory of United playing in Europe because of the, the Hazel ban, and that was. The our first season back and it, it it felt absolutely incredible to have won this trophy that you know wasn't the, the primary trophy in Europe but it was it was one of the big three mm. and the Europa League's never really felt like that to me but then at full time when you see see them pick up essentially what is the UEFA Cup trophy and it, it's an absolutely gargantuan piece of metal it's enormous and and it just made you know just kind of stirred the the nostalgia in me and it, you know it just it just occurred to me you know we have one European competition here and I used to love I used to, to you know live off United winning the Cup Winners Cup and it's really no different from that it's just that in this country particularly we've we've always had a very snotty attitude towards the Europa League and I don't I didn't like the the way that the the two competitions were amalgamated and this new thing this new amorphous dreadful endless competition was was formed but you have champions league teams dropping into it which just feels like standards of fairness and, and the integrity of the competition yeah you should have to be rubbish and qualify it for us like the normal way <laughs> well yeah <laughs> but when you actually get to the end of it and you lift that trophy which is the uefa cup trophy and we've essentially lifted the only trophy we domestic and international that we've never won i think that that that's the moment it really dawned on me that we you know, we've done something pretty important, pretty important there, not just in the context of next season. I mean, I think you could see from guys like even from guys like Ibrahimovic and Pogba, who've you know they've, they've lifted, they've they've won trophy after trophy after trophy, but neither of them have, have won a European trophy. That was that was Ibrahimovic's first 
European trophy and you could see what it meant to him. You could see what it meant to Pogba. I'm sure Pogba didn't come to United because he dreamt of winning the Europa League, but to have actually done it clearly meant everything to all of them. Mm. Um, I don't think anyone of that, I don't think any member of that team wasn't taking it seriously and didn't seriously enjoy no, it. No. You know, it. As we said, complete release of tension and it clearly meant a lot to them all. You know, Obviously, a large part of that is because it is a route into the Champions League. And let's remind ourselves, we wouldn't have been playing Champions League football next season had we not won that game, because we were not very good in the league. So that game, that performance, that result has turned this season into a success for, I think, pretty much every United fan. I mean, it's very difficult to argue against Mourinho's... You know, we, we did speak about how he came so close to throwing things away in that second leg performance. It didn't need to be that close. It didn't need to be that stressful. And whilst I think there's definitely a couple of things that, that you, as you and I discussed all through the season that we disagree with in terms of Mourinho's man management, there's just no getting around the fact that he has gotten this right. It was a huge risk, but he really did get it right. And to have ended the season with a trophy that we'd never won, Champions League football, and as we said when we were talking about this in a little preview uh, last week, the fact that we have now got this summer to look forward to, not worrying about you know, who might want to join based on the fact we'll be in the Europa League again, what the sort of the perception of United is based on the fact that we would have finished outside the top four for three years out of the last four, not being in the Champions League. We haven't got to worry about that now. You know, you fully expect United to go for the top talent. You expect them to spend vast amounts of money perhaps more than they would have spent otherwise, because they know that they can tempt the higher standard of football now, don't you? I think one of the concerns was that this, this was always going to be a difficult summer anyway. As, we, as we've seen and has been reported, particularly Chelsea and City look likely to spend absolute fortunes. City on... have already spent, what, 80 million plus in the space of a couple of days? Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, City City are clearly going, I, and I'm, I have no idea how they're going to pay for it, in, in sort of in FFP terms. But they're clearly just going for it. They've bid an enormous amount for Kylian Mbappe. Um, they've, bring in, they've got two players in already. I, I don't know much about the keeper, but Bernardo Silva's an absolutely wonderful player. You know, the, I suppose the concern from a United perspective is that if Mourinho, if, Mourinho, if um, Guardiola gets that defence right, then we're all in the shit. But from from the perspective of United, we go into the summer in a very different position in that we can actually compete for the same players that the likes of. City and Chelsea, Juve or Bayern, whoever we're we're in that bracket. We can we can actually t- compete with and tempt those players on the same terms as as those clubs. And if we'd been in the Europa League, we wouldn't have been able to. To a degree, in the last few years, we've been stuck in this loop of having to overpay for players and overpay the players because we don't have the competitive allure that we had previously. That can become self perpetuating because. You know, the longer you're out of out of the top competitions, the more you have to overpay, the more your squad is overpaid, and the more clubs will ask from you, and it just becomes it becomes self perpetuating. But by getting in the Champions League this this year, we've actually given ourselves the chance of spending more sensibly, not having to go that extra mile to convince some players to come and join us. I think the I, I think basically. We wouldn't have got Antoine Griezmann. We may, we may I'm touching wood. I don't. I, I think there was zero chance he'd have come if we, if we'd not got in the Champions League. No, no, absolutely um, not. Whereas I think there's a pretty good chance that he will now. And I think he's absolutely integral to Mourinho's plans. I think if that, if that went south, then then 
you know, we've got a problem. What we've gleaned so far from Mourinho's recruitment, it looks like he wants to throw vast amount of money at at least Griezmann, if not, if not another forward as well, and then sort of spend more modest sums. I say modest, but but I, I guess a modest a modest fee for for a sort of United these days is about forty million euros, isn't it? It's, it's absurd, but I spend sort of more modest sums on a on a centre back, probably Michael Keane, and then a midfielder and perhaps Perisic, and then really blow our wads on Griezmann plus one. And I think if Mourinho can get those four or five players in that he wants then I would be very disappointed if we weren't as competitive as, as everyone else in that in the league. Yeah, yeah, I think things are set up now for us nicely to be competitive next season. I don't think it's necessarily spoilt. Well, I don't think it's asking too much for United to be involved in the title race for almost the entire length of next season, potentially, should we be able to get the players in that Mourinho wants. You talk about the impact of the Europa League, there's definitely something to be said for that Thursday, Sunday, slash Monday locked-in period. You know, most of the time it was the Sunday that we were playing as well. And that is not necessarily a massive amount of games in order to go and do what we did. You know, it is, you mentioned there, it's, it's 15 games from the beginning to the final. And Lord help you if you're in your qualifying rounds, because you're looking at playing something on level 17 which is just ridiculous. You know, it's an incredible amount of games, and I feel like partially because of the way Mourinho used his squad, he perhaps didn't utilise it well enough earlier on in the season. A couple of players went, and then when we were getting tied legs towards the end of the season, he was chucking players who were perhaps not at their peak or not necessarily available or able to do what he wanted them to do, which is why things look a bit worse and we had to essentially play in this very sort of rigid style, I guess. You know, it wasn't particularly fun to watch for the most part, the football over the last month or so. But you can't argue that it's still been effective. You know, I think Mourinho has said himself that it was his hardest season, and you can see that to a certain extent. Obviously, you know, the mind immediately jumps and thinks, well, you know, maybe the fact that you left Chelsea basically flirting with the relegation zone last year might make it your most difficult season. But let's just, let's, let's forget about that, shall we? Like, let's confine that to the past. But you can kind of see where he's coming from in terms of this season. You know, he's, he's struggled to bring in a couple of plays that he wanted. He has tried again, as Van Gaal did and as Moyes did, to give every single player a chance for the most part. I can see the difficulty he's had there. You know, He has been trying to take a lot of different elements and try and figure out the best way of making United a successful side again. And I think that we mostly most of us would agree that he had the majority of the elements at his disposal this season, but not all of them, and he just didn't quite find the right blend throughout the season. There are points where it really did look like it worked and we stumbled across something good. And I still think that Chelsea game, the one at Old Trafford 2-0, is a really good barometer of what this United side could do if he's able to find a right two, three, four players to bring into that team to change things around. But Having said that, you know, I'm still really, really positive now for what United looks like under Mourinho next season and potentially beyond. I think he's got an exciting squad. I think that, you know, people have been talking about wholesale changes and getting rid of the Deadwood. I don't think we're going to see that this summer. I think we're going to see perhaps quality additions and maybe a few players like Zlatan and Rooney and, oh gosh, I don't know, Ashley Young maybe leaving, but I don't see too many exits. Do you? No, I think you're right. Bear in mind, we lost three players in January. No, essentially, even if we let two or three go now, that would, that would be six players having left in six months. You imagine Rooney will go, and Zlatan, and probably Smalling if Keane comes in. I can't, I can't see that we can really afford to to lose anybody else. The, the squad is a bit light as it is. Uh, people have talked about 
some of the, the kids filling spaces and it's not inconceivable that someone like Andres Pereira could come back and get a place in the squad. I'm not 100% convinced that Mourinho is is still willing to throw young players into games that matter. We've seen a few at the end of the season to, to pretty good effect. But it's one thing playing them because you're trying to keep other players fit and energised and another actually playing in competitive games. And it will be interesting to see next season how Mourinho approaches that. I have a feeling that he'll fall back on what he knows and on experience and perhaps some of those young players will need a loan. I think it's a shame that Timothy, Timothy Fossumenta ended up staying at the club this year. I mean, I, I'm sure it wasn't the intention that he'd hardly play any football, but he has hardly played any football. And he looked still very raw in the Crystal Palace game. And I just think that a year alone would have really made a lot of difference to him in terms of his concentration and his, his rashness. And I wonder if Mourinho will look at someone like Tuanzebi as well next season and think, well, I, I'm bringing in defender as it is. And Rojo's going to be back in the new year, and it might be better if these guys develop on loan. I just don't. I don't want them to see. Just I don't want to see them kind of hovering on the periphery of the squad like Fossi Mensa did this year, and and really get no football and not develop as they can because I think there are two or three young players that we've got, and I know we'll talk about the Crystal Palace game, but there are two or three players we've got who I think really do have a chance at United. We all want Mourinho to disprove the notion that he doesn't trust. He doesn't trust young players. So that's one of the things that we need to look look towards next season. We said before that his second season will, I think, ultimately define him. I think if he gets the players he wants this summer, then we need to be closer to a title challenge. I mean, just a bit, Rich. Good grief. We need to perform a great deal better in the league and we need to be more proactive on the pitch. Uh, you, you know, You can't buy Antoine Griezmann and then have Chris Smalling punting 50-yard balls up to him. I mean, you can, but you probably shouldn't. Well, you can, but there, there could be no excuse that he doesn't, he doesn't, didn't have the players or won't have the players that uh, are capable of playing a different brand of football. Hmm. And I, I kind of get why he retreated into conservatism in the second half of the season, even though I didn't particularly like it at the time. You can give him a pass on that because ultimately he's achieved his goal. But I think if United were doing that next season, then that's when he could and should be open to a degree of criticism. But obviously the first part of that is getting the players in he wants. There's no guarantee we do that, so we need to see who he gets in the summer. And knowing Mourinho, if there's one thing he is, he's a good recruiter. And he signed very, four very good players last summer. And I think that whoever's on his list, they will be good players who will improve us. So it's over to Woody. <laughs> to, to the flashiest wad. Oh, yeah. Europe. Captain Ed strikes again. I'm sure he's going to have a wonderful summer. I mean, this is his job. This is his most important transfer window, ideally. Now, you know, everything is set up for him off the back of a, a really promising end to the season. One silverware. Mourinho's in charge now, back in the Champions League. It's an exciting time to be following United, and you'd argue that it's an exciting time potentially to be joining United. You know, arguably with some of these deals, it just potentially could be a case of. Uh, Woodward just having to bat his eyelash to a certain extent, so it'll be interesting to see how that all plays out. But mentioning those uh, younger players, Rich, you know, there is definitely a sense, to me anyway, and I think you agree with this one, that, you know, the likes of Fossi Mensa, it was necessarily, it was pretty clear to us that he was ready to be playing in the team. So to not see him join in until essentially Mourinho's hand was forced was disappointing. 
And that is kind of how it happened with the last game of the season against Palace, you know, which was arguably one of the most fun games of the second half of the season by some distance. And that was just, that was kids all over the shop. It was a really fun afternoon against Palace at Old Trafford, wasn't it? Yeah, I don't think we can take anything deep from the game. It's, you know, Palace had absolutely nothing to play for. We put out a team of players who had nothing to lose. It was their cup final day, really. You know, someone like Josh Harrop, who I think, I might be wrong, I think he's out of contract this summer. You know, he's, he's 21. He's he's actually slightly older than Anthony Martial. And I'd be surprised if he had a, has a, a long-term career at United. But he's had a day there that he will never, ever forget. That was the main takeaway from that game, is that we had four, five, six players who will have had an experience that they'll never, ever forget. Can never be taken away from them. Harrop has always scored that goal. He'll always have that goal to talk about, to, to reflect on. And, you know, the other guys will have played at Old Trafford and, and won at Old Trafford, played very well at Old Trafford. And I think for players like Joel Pereira and Tuenzebe and, you know, even for um, Angel Gomez just to get a few minutes at the end there, you know, I mean, he anybody who's seen him play for the for the age group teams, it's absolutely absurd talent. Um, probably the best I've seen since at that level since uh, Ravel Morrison um, and there's an argument to say he's even better sometimes mm. he looks even better so even those few minutes for him could be really important in the context of his career the minutes that Tuenzebe's had at the end of the season you know he's been moved all about he's played in midfield he's played centre back he's played as right back and he's not let himself down at all if I were Mourinho I'd, I'd hope that he he would recognise that and, and perhaps give him give him a shot next season. But we've got an awful lot of centre backs, particularly if we bring another one in. You know, I just I, I don't want to see I don't want to see a situation where these guys are just on the periphery of the squad and really don't get the opportunity to, to develop or really play much at all. No, you're right. I mean, I think you look at someone like Joel Pereira, who is being targeted by Benfica apparently, but has decided he wants to stay at United and try and fight for a spot, which is very interesting. Imagine that potentially means that he sees a window opportunity there that means he'll get some more game time next season. He had his uh, FA Cup debut earlier on the year and was pretty solid against Palace. It was really nice to see him do that. You know, he's been around the club for several years now and he's a really promising keeper. So, Well, Mourinho's been incredibly incredibly complimentary about him hasn't he he's essentially said he's you know he's Portugal's next next keeper so he clearly rates him very highly and he's obviously said to him I rate you incredibly highly and I want you to stick around and I'll give you games so then immediately your mind wanders and thinks well does that mean because one of the keepers in the pecking order above him might not be around well isn't it really strange I mean there really isn't any noise usually when Real Madrid are after a player the sort of media barrage starts quite early doesn't it and it just goes on and on. People at Real talking about how they'd love to have Ronaldo or whoever in their side. They'd love to play with him. They think he'd be great at their club. Players saying the same things. And it, it just it becomes this, this propaganda machine through Master, doesn't it? In an attempt to unsettle the player. But there just hasn't really been that. There's been whispers that Real might bid for him again. Adam Crafton's actually, as a male, is very good on under Haye, I think he's got some pretty close contacts with him and his family, and he basically said that De Gea isn't unhappy and won't try to force a move. But if Real make a big bid and Mourinho thinks it would be to his benefit or to the club's benefit to sell, then he'd happily go. And, you know, De Gea nearly left two years ago, but he didn't say he didn't say a word about it. He's been incredibly respectful. He's not kicked off. 
you know, he really has been. I've seen people criticising him for for the idea that he wanted to leave in the first place. How dare he want to join one of the most successful sides in, on the continent? Just ridiculous. Well, in his homeland where his girlfriend lives, having essentially been been a co- coconut shy for three years. <laughs> but, you know, he has been incredibly respectful. He just hasn't spoken about it at all. You know, some players really kick off to get a move, and he's never done that. And I don't think he would do that. No, I mean, so, my, my guess on the whole situation is that potentially the way it's actually maybe got a little bit more chance of working out is that Romero might leave because I don't think mm. he would be happy being the backup goalkeeper. And let's be quite frank, Romero won't be Champions League keeper next season. I feel like that to a certain extent, no. Mourinho felt like he could take the, the risk of giving in the Europa League berth, knowing full well that De Gea is a superior keeper. But De Gea's got to be first choice for the Champions League next season. Absolutely. Yeah. So then you've potentially got slots that open up in the domestic cup competitions, which you could say Pereira might be well suited for, and that he might get the push that way. I really don't want to jump ahead of myself, but I feel like that is the more likely outcome. But either, I mean, that'd be great. I mean, I'd be very happy for that. Joel Pereira looks like a lovely guy. He's played really, really well when he's come into the team, and it'd be really nice to see him get the start. You know, same with him and the likes of Bossu Mensah and Demetri Mitchell and Scott McTominay. Axel had another great game in midfield. Yeah, really lovely afternoon at Old Trafford. And obviously what happened on Monday night really sort of affected the way that I think all of us approached the final. But in the end, I'm really, really emotional. And it was such a great way to end the season, all told, wasn't it? What what do you feel that final has done for United now? I think it's opened up a world of possibilities that wouldn't have been there had we lost, had we not got into the Champions League. Mm. Obviously, we've completed the set of trophies, which is, is something that is certainly worth noting and being proud of. And for United, it means they've avoided another season of endless Thursday night games. And it means that they can recruit a lot more ambitiously. And and in, in literal terms, there will be more money in the pot. But, you know, the competition's worth, you know, 70, 80 million. I think I, I, think I saw that Juve stand to make the most from this season's competition. And I think it was something like 108 million euros in total from, from TV and from prize money from, from the Champions League this year. Compare that to the €40 million Euros which United are said to have made and you know, you've got the got your difference. It's 50, 60, you know, potentially it's 50, 60, 70 million pounds depending on how the other English teams do. Um, I mean, to be fair, that £40 million, pounds, you're knocking it there, but that could get us one of our standard players right there. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm just using it as a comparative to what we what we have now. And, mm. you know, 50, 60 million, that's either another exceptionally good player or it's a huge chunk to, to, to pay for wages or whatever it, it just means we could be more ambitious and given that City and Chelsea appear likely to spend vast amounts of money this summer we need that money to compete for the players we want because there's a I think there's a relatively small pool of players that a lot of the big clubs in Europe are are fighting for and you know without that extra oomph it, it would be more difficult to get them so it's just opened a world of possibilities. You know, everyone goes into the summer on a high and there's just a, a feel-good factor around the club again. And I think there's an appeal for, for more players. Just feel a lot more, more positive about United recruitment and what the possibilities are for next season. Which is a wonderful feeling. And I haven't actually got any predictions to ask for you for matches now because we played them all, which is a wonderful, yeah. <laughs> quite remarkable feeling. I mean, you know, it, this season has been, again quite a tiring one really hasn't it you know it, it's, it's been had, a grind doesn't it yeah. it has i mean it, it it's it's ended so so well and as i said 
watching us lift the Europa League trophy last Wednesday night was a really emotional moment. I'm not going to lie, I had a tear in my eye at that point, and I'm not trying to sound <laughs> overly sappy or anything. I just genuinely did. It was. It just felt like such. I've said this before, but such a release of tension, such a release of emotion because of what we've been dealing with up until that point, and to have ended the season on such a high is just such a wonderful, wonderful feeling. And it does really give you that buzz going into next season. But at the same time, I'm kind of glad now that we get a couple of months off to switch off from, you know, the silly business of playing football and just chat rubbish about transfers because, you know, obviously this is everyone's favourite time of the year. Anyway, uh, before we do leave for the evening, Rich, a couple of quick predictions for me. How do you think our player review pod is going to go? <laughs> well, I, I fully expect that I'll be as inaccurate as I was last season after my damnation of Marcus Rocco. You really caned Rocco on that point. I feel my credibility is, is, is on the floor. So I'm sure we'll say lots of things about lots of players which will turn out to be completely wrong and everyone will laugh at us. But hey-ho, it's, it's fun. That's true. Very true. Hindsight's always a beautiful thing. Anyway, Rich, thank it you is. for your company as always. No worries. Guys, thank you as well very much for listening. We've got one more episode to go this week, which, as I said a couple of times, is our player reviews pod. Look out for that in the next week or so. But don't forget, in the meantime, you can get us all over the internet. You can get our blog at redvoices.net. You can get us on Twitter at redvoicesmufc. You can get me at Ewan Lennox, and you can get Rich at, at richardcan76. Have yourselves a superb summer, a superb week, superb everything. Either way, cheerio. <laughs> <laughs>